Welcome to an episode of ESPN's Unlapped, where we don't even like podcasts here. Katie George, joined by Nate Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson, who's still in Asia, post-Singapore and Japan. My new life mission, gentlemen, is getting Max Verstappen on this pod after his comments in the holding room in Suzuka after he won the Japanese Grand Prix. Do you like our chances since we've already had Christian Horner, friend of the pod? Yeah, good luck with that. Um, turns out Max has no interest in podcasts whatsoever. I don't suppose that means that he wouldn't go on one if he was coerced into it by Red Bull's uh, comms team. So we'll have to work on that. But um, I don't think he'll be listening back to it, put it that way, if, if, if he comes on. Um, I, I think he's missing out. You know, I think there's there's a lot of great podcasts out there, I'd like to think this one included. Um, and yeah, by, by not listening to any of them, having no interest outside of whatever, yeah, he does in F1, that's it's a little bit strange to me. But anyway. It's not for everyone, I guess. His words were, they make me fall asleep, weren't they? So I think for our show, I mean, I'd like to think that's not that's not the case for us, but we'll have to see. The only way to find out is to get him on the pod, isn't it? So, so true. Not a surprising admission from Max Verstappen. I definitely would have said I had that on my bingo card for the 2023 season, but we will get to work on that. Uh, we obviously know the PR team. So now, as I told you, I've dedicated myself. It happened this year or it might happen next year, but by God, we are getting him on ESPN's Unlapped. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It means a great deal to us. Let's dive right in, shall we? Max Verstappen, of course, bounced back with an absolutely dominant performance in Suzuka the entire weekend. Red Bull clinched their second consecutive Constructors' Championship. So congratulations to Kristen Horner and the entire Red Bull team on a phenomenal year, I think we can all say. And even with six races left in the season, it's been historic. It's been um, so dominant. But is this the most dominant season you guys have seen? Lawrence, I'll start with you first from an F1 team in recent years. Yeah, because I was two years old when McLaren went and won all but one race in 1988 <laughs> so in terms of what i've seen and i can remember uh this is uh they still have to finish it and close it out because otherwise mm. some of the mercedes seasons are up there i think mercedes uh you know missed out on two uh two, two wins in uh 2019 i want to say i have to upset that anyway there were a few years where mercedes got pretty close to it but uh, um, yeah, I I feel like this has been uh, something else from Red Bull, and you know, really Singapore was just such a one-off, and there were a few doubts about what Red Bull were doing and how they were doing it, and whether a clarification of the regulations in Singapore might have thrown Red Bull off their stride, and that was why they were slow in Singapore. But that's clearly not the case. Uh, Max went out in Japan, had this point to prove, uh, said to Christian Horner before the race they went and played uh like paddle tennis in singapore after the race kind of let off some steam and he said that while he was playing tennis with singapore uh, with christian afterwards in singapore that he wanted to win by 20 seconds and he was like 0.6 seconds shy of that and that was apparently because the blue flag got waved uh and a driver didn't get out the way on the final lap so um you know that kind of dominance that ability to go from a race where they were absolutely nowhere and go back to a regular track and win by 20 seconds is is massive um so yeah i, I think this is probably going to be the most dominant season i've ever seen would you concur nate because they're the first team in formula one history to clinch the constructors with six races left on the calendar yeah absolutely i mean i'd echo everything lawrence said and i think 
those Mercedes seasons that you know, and and some of the Schumacher seasons. When you look back at those in the two thousands, even then it seemed like there were possibilities race to race that it was going to be difficult for Schumacher or for Hamilton to win the race. This season, Verstappen especially has just been so good that take Singapore out of the equation. Most of the races you've got to the Sunday, if he's got into the turn one ahead or he's been even second, third, fourth at turn one, you've pretty much assumed he's going to win the race. So can't remember many seasons like it. Um, Singapore was great just from a point of view of just injecting some life back into it. Um, but Max deserves huge credit. So do Red Bull. Um, it's been amazing. And to be honest with you, in a weird way, it's kind of impressive because they've delivered the season we thought they would when we saw the first qualifying session in Bahrain and they were so far ahead. George Russell came out at, you know, to the media after that and said they're going to win every race this season. He was very, very nearly right on that, or as, at least as it stands. Um, and that's quite a big feat because often in the first race, you know, you can see a team very, very far ahead. They look dominant. And then, you know, it turns out, it, you know, all the other teams kind of catch up very quickly and Red Bull just haven't let other teams do that. They've been, they've been fantastic. Mm. So yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be, I mean, maybe I'm missing an obvious example, but like Lawrence said, there's just no, there's no really obvious comparison. Max completed his ninth hat trick of the, the, his F1 career with his pole position and qualifying fastest lap. And then of course the race win. Now he could clinch his third straight driver's championship at Qatar uh, with Qatar being a sprint weekend. All he has to do is finish sixth in the sprint and he'll clinch it. Is it weird to think that he could clinch the driver's championship on a Saturday before even going into the race, Nate? Very weird. I was thinking about this, um, you know, when, I, when we're wrapping up the coverage of Japan. Every time we've seen a champion, whether it's Abu Dhabi 21, whether it was some of Lewis's wins when he would win in Austin or Mexico, the build-up would be to the Sunday. You know, everything mm -hmm. would build up to the Sunday, even if it's, oh, Lewis needs to finish fifth. Or, you know, obviously Abu Dhabi, it went to the wire. But, you know, there's there's other occasions when drivers have clinched early you're still all the build-up goes to that sunday and it'll be weird if we get to saturday he wins it obviously red bull i assume will have some kind of celebration i'm not sure you know if qatar's the best place to to kind of let loose and and you know <laughs> have that celebration as you might in in other places but then we'll all wake up in the morning and there'll still be a grand prix to win and a grand, a grand prix to race and i assume that max will still want to win that regardless of whether he's won the championship or not um, so it'll be a weird one. And um, I mean, it, it, to be honest with you, I hope he wins it on the Sunday because I like the Grand Prix being the being the main event from the weekend. But I think in a weird way, it would be very fitting for Max to win it on a Saturday. His dominance has been such that he wins it in a way that no one else has ever won it before, you know, on a Saturday in a fairly new format. Um, I think it would kind of it would just fit with the season we've seen. So it will definitely be weird. It might make Sunday easier from a journalistic point of view. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we'll, we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, Max just doesn't win championships in normal ways, does he? I mean, <laughs> no, 2021 yeah. with Michael yeah. Massey involved and uh, all that went on after that. And we didn't know in the immediate aftermath whether he really was champion or not, whether Mercedes would protest, how far that would go, when we would find out. And then uh, obviously last year in Japan, um, he crossed the line and he wasn't aware he'd won the championship. Uh, his team was still checking if he was champion uh, because we had had a shortened race that if under one interpretation of the regulations meant only a certain amount of percentage of points would be handed out. And actually under the correct interpretation of the regulations, the full points were handed out and therefore he had won it. So um, if he does it on a Saturday, I think it's just in keeping with his, his way of winning titles, which is just there's always something a little bit peculiar about it. But um, yeah, I, I think it will be odd. And, well, you know, I, I think this is the risk that F1 always 
had if they if they included sprint races but i suppose the other way to look at it is that i don't think anyone has been in doubt that he would be world champion since may more or less you know i mean as soon as he started to uh really um you know just beat perez at every every single race it was you know after miami and then into june and july it just became so obvious that he was going to be champion uh i i guess it doesn't really matter where mathematically it gets it gets sealed but it is a bit odd, but yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's just the way Max goes about winning championships. I'm just trying to work out how he might win it next year if he, assuming he did, you know, would he would he reverse over the line at one of the races, you know, <laughs> <laughs> spin at like you know do it like I don't know like hit the wall as he crosses the line or something like. There's got to be if if he wins it on the Saturday, I think that would be the theme of Verstappen. Is like he wins championships, they're memorable, but they're also very very quirky and weird in how he does them. I think it'd be a great. I mean, that's a great legacy to have. I think. <laughs> No doubt about it. Uh, another legacy that's not so great to have is uh, when you're his teammate on the opposite side of the garage and your name is uh, Sergio Perez at the moment, not saying that he's not going to have a, a phenomenal legacy when he looks back on his F1 career. But as it stands right now, guys, back to back tough races for Sergio Perez. Lawrence, what was it like on the ground in Japan watching that day unfold for him? Yeah, it's not nice actually to see um, a driver who we've seen achieve great results in his career, uh, mm -hmm. often for smaller teams, and then just to go through, you know, what happened in in Japan, and really the, the die was cast in qualifying when he qualified fifth, uh, put himself in that midfield. Suzuka is it's a funny grid because it's on quite a slope downhill, so it's mm -hmm. quite hard to get the start absolutely spot on and then it's narrow as well you know as soon as you get past the pit lane exit it all narrows down into a very fast first corner and um he had ferraris on one side who were pushing him across and he had lewis hamilton on the other who ended up on the grass and he actually came out worse you know he lost lost a bit of uh front wing so as, as soon as that happened uh he was in trouble he was always going backwards on a circuit where you know, we do see exciting racing, I feel, but it's not easy to overtake, even in a Red Bull. So from that point onwards, it felt like he was just pushing way over the edge, trying to make up for what had gone wrong on Saturday and then Sunday. But this is, you know, it just feels like the same each weekend for Perez at the moment. The guy, whether he can't catch a break, that's, a you know, probably a kind way to look at it. Uh, but I think a much more uh, realistic way to look at it is that he is just massively underperforming. You know, that Red Bull was capable of taking pole position by half a second, half a second to Oscar Piastri. In the first sector alone, uh, Max Verstappen was two temps up on Piastri. Uh, you know, if you look at the gaps to some of the other teams, uh, like the Mercedes uh, and the Ferraris, in that first sector, it was about six temps to seven temps to eight temps. That's how quick that was. You know, that would be a massive margin around a single lap at any racetrack. Uh, but Perez couldn't find it. He, You know, he could not hook together those early corners of the lap or really any of the corners uh, in the way that, that Verstappen did. And I just don't really know where he goes from here other than just trying to see out the season and starting again afresh in, in 2024. But then he's got the pressure of a you know contract year and the rest of it. So yeah, I don't know where he goes, but at the moment it's, it seems to be getting worse rather than better. I would agree. And, and I don't know, Nate, if it's, it's the pressure that's mounting, obviously, Lewis Hamilton is clicking at his heels right now for P2 in the constructor in the driver's championship. I don't know if it's pressing too much because of who your teammate is, or is it just a confidence issue because you've put together, you know, poor qualifying results, poor results on, on Sundays. 
a combination of all of the above? Like, can you pinpoint what it is at this point? A combination of all the above would be a fair way to look at it. And I, I think often those things go hand in hand, you know, with Perez, clearly the confidence is lacking. I mean, you can see that, you know, when Lawrence and I go to the media sessions with Perez in, you know, you don't find the Perez that we used to talk to, you know, when it was Racing Point or Force India, you know, he's he's a lot more reserved. He, you know, I don't think he really enjoys talking to the media in the way that he used to, because the tone of the questions is very similar. It's, you know, why are you struggling? Max is winning. Yeah. You know, it's it's very easy to be on the back foot and be defensive about that um, if you're in that situation. And I mean, just on the point of confidence, often what you find when a driver is lacking confidence is they then start to overdrive. They overcompensate. They push too hard. Lawrence was like spot on with that about the car. You know, Perez probably could have sat waited for the race to come to him we've seen one of the great things about max and i think that he actually this trait of his actually gets overlooked because he's out in front so much but max has become a very very patient driver you know he knows the car he has underneath him and we saw it in monza you know he did have a fight with science but he waited for the situation to come to him eventually got past science and then disappeared into the distance with perez i think he's there's there's a an urgency to prove what he can do and that i mean that 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 tangle with magnuson Perez yeah. in that Red Bull has no has just got, there's just no reason he should be in that situation with a car that is probably eighth, ninth, or tenth fastest. You know, given the race that you're at, there's absolutely no reason he should be in that situation. Um, I thought it was actually. I, I wonder how much of it was obviously 24, 48 hours before the race. We found out that Ricardo and Sonoda were going to be driving for Alpha Tauri, and we've known that for a long time. But the confirmation that those two guys are staying there, obviously you know, it ends any speculation that, that Red Bull might at the last minute pull the rug from under Perez's feet and say, actually, we're going to put per uh, Ricardo in there, which I don't really think has been a serious threat, but the, the, mm -hmm. the speculation has been there and the prospect has been there and that must have weighed on his mind a bit. I don't know whether them taking that away kind of almost put him into a place where it's now just, now I just need to perform. And actually, the, the you know, the weight of that expectation is just so great that, you know, we saw the race, um, we saw him have the race that he did have. And the weird thing with Perez is it felt it felt like, you know, either side of the summer break, it was like, okay, it feels like he's getting on top of whatever these issues are. And then suddenly it's just it just has fallen apart again. So I'm not sure what is going on with Perez at the moment. But if you look at the grid, there's a few drivers where you're like, these guys need an off season right now just mm -hmm. to just to get away. You know, I'd put Stroll in there, I'd put Sargent in there, and okay. I'd put Perez in there as well. You know, those three guys, when you look at how they're performing. But Sargent's a rookie, you know, strolls up against Fernando Alonso and, you know, he's in his own situation. But Perez is in the best car on the grid. So, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of things going on there. And um, and the problem he's got as well is that Max just keeps getting better and better. Max is just, there's no, we see no signs of mistakes from him. You know, even Singapore when when Red Bull were down, you know, Max still came through the field quite well at the end. I think he was he was fifth there. So even when Max isn't having great weekends, he's still getting the most out of the car. So it must be just devastating from a confidence point of view. Um, and I agree with Lawrence. It's quite painful to watch because, mm. you know, you, you don't want to see drivers in that situation, especially when you know how good Perez has been previously in Formula 1. You're not allowed to jump ahead on the rundown. I've got the doghouse listed and you just Sorry. told us. It's to a teaser. It was a teaser, Dog, yes. Doghouse teaser. Apologies. Sorry, Casey. <laughs> I'll let you, you're, you're a much better host than I'd ever be, so I'll, I'll never do that again. That. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. So follow along with us. But a couple more questions here. Certainly a forgettable weekend for Sergio Perez. A unforgettable weekend for McLaren with a double podium in Suzuka. Lando had an electric start, gave Max a real battle there outside of turn one. It was obviously a strong weekend from Oscar Piastri after his extension news. 
I just think back to the way that we were discussing this team after Bahrain. Have you ever seen kind of just this this turnaround, uh, this changing of gears? I mean, who do we attribute the success to? Is it a certain person? Is it the team overall, Lawrence? Can you remember a team that's that's been able to bounce back like McLaren has this season? It is it is rare. I, I can't think of a team that's gone from essentially back of the grid at the opening race to uh, double podiums later in the season. It, I think it shows a number of things. One is just how tight the field is in Formula One at the moment. Uh, we haven't had that for a long time. I know we've got Red Bull a long way ahead. Well, I say Red Bull, really Max Verstappen a long way ahead. But the rest of the teams are, are, are very close. And it's been the case now under this kind of cost cap environment as well, where if you bring a big update and it works really well, you're going to make huge gains, like significant gains. Um, and the other thing about the Suzuka result is that Suzuka is basically a track that is perfect for the McLaren. We know the McLaren is very good in high-speed corners. It has been since they brought upgrades to the car in Austria and Silverstone, which is really where we saw this big turnaround begin. And um, Suzuka is just a series of high-speed corner after high-speed corner after high-speed corner after high-speed corner. <laughs> and um, in, in Silverstone, uh, you know, the really fast stuff, the McLaren was actually faster than the Red Bull. So... Um, this was always a track that was going to suit them now that they have got the car into the position where they have. But um, that is that is massively impressive. And yeah, I mean, who do you put it down to? Well, you know, at, at the start of the year, uh, they knew they had uh, under delivered essentially over mm-hmm. over the winter with what they'd done with the development of their car. And they were concerned about it going into the first race, rightly so. But they said, look, you know, by the end of the year, our target is to be uh, the fourth best team. Now, they've got Aston Martin in their sights to to, to become uh, mm-hmm. fourth in, in the Constructors' Championship, which would be very impressive. But it, they were talking about being the fourth fastest team. And actually, right now, on certain tracks, certainly on the like Suzuki, you know, they went well in uh, Singapore as well. Of course, uh, Norris finished second to Carlos Sainz there. So, you know, it is now starting to be across a range of circuits that they're quick. You know, there's a very strong argument to say that they've absolutely got the second fastest car at the moment going into the final few races. And Lando Norris, I think, um, since uh, since the upgrade arrived, certainly, um, yeah, around kind of Austria Silverstone time, he's second in the amount of points he scored only to Max Verstappen. So that's the level they're up now, which I think is a bit of a surprise. But where should the credit go? Well, you know, I, I think uh, Andrea Stella, who's uh, who became team principal at the start of this year, that was a big role to take on. Uh, Andreas Seidel went from McLaren. Uh, he was you know, very well respected at McLaren, but decided to go and head up uh, Sauber, which is going to become Audi in 2026. And so Stella took over and he he was very kind of well-respected team, but having uh, been into a few media sessions with him now, you know, he's, he's really very charismatic. Like he's really a kind of guy that you would definitely get behind and, and you'd work and then you'd believe it as well when, when he says stuff. And then to be able to turn everything that he was saying into actual results on track, that is very, very impressive. And there's a few big pieces that are still slotting into place at McLaren. Uh, you know, they've got Rob Marshall coming over from Red Bull. Uh, you know, uh, they've got, um, uh, Nate, I've forgotten his name, the guy from Ferrari. Sanchez. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, David Sanchez. Yeah, from Ferrari. And so by the time all of that gets into place, you know, it's only strengthening this team going forward. My, my only concern is that, um, you know, they're looking very good under this regulation set. We get to 2026. And uh, what happens when they don't have their own engine supply and they're probably still um, relying on Mercedes going forward as, as, as a customer team. But in the meantime, I think they've done a remarkable job. 
they truly have. I mean, get this. In the first eight races of the season, the two drivers combined for 17 points, an average of 2.1 points per race. The last eight races that they've competed in, 145 points, an average of 18.1 a race. I mean, it's a night and day difference. Nate, when you look at Norris and Piastri, is this driver pair maybe the strongest on the grid moving forward into the future? Super exciting pairing. I mean, I think I wouldn't say they're quite the most exciting. I mean, they're definitely the most exciting. Whether they're the strongest pairing just yet, I think we need to see them okay. win some races. You know, if you look at, you know, I think we we always say on this, I think if you look pound for pound, Mercedes, you've obviously got Lewis there, but they've also got George, who's won a race, has taken mm-hmm. pole. I mean, Lando, you know, Lando's just waiting. I think he's he, he's had the same amount of second positions this year as Perez, which is remarkable for all kinds of reasons. It's remarkable for Norris. It's also remarkable that that, Nor- that Perez has allowed that situation to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just, we know he's going to win a race at some point. And Piastri, I mean, he has come in. I've been so impressed with him. You know, I mean, if you compare what Ricardo was doing last year alongside Norris, how he was struggling, Piastri's come in and he's one of these guys, he's a bit like Verstappen in the way he talks about racing, in that he just doesn't really seem that phased by the you know, kind of the hype and the praise around him. And I think that's always very, very telling when you see that. So I think give him a win or two each, and I'd probably revise that about Mercedes because okay. um I mean, Lewis's Lewis's experience is always going to be huge, but in terms of just the excitement you've got there, the fact that Piastri has also signed up until 20, 2026, past that regulation change that Lawrence mentioned, um, is a huge ringing endorsement of the team. But also it shows, you know, they've got that stability. I think Norris is there till 2026 at least. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think if you're McLaren right now, you know, in the space of six months, it's gone from doom and gloom to you know, an incredibly good situation. And um, I definitely, you mentioned earlier about having certain things on your bingo card, Katie, McLaren turning the season around was not on mine. So I have to, yeah. you know, I have to, you know, eat humble pie on that one. Cause I don't <laughs> think even, even them saying they were going to be the fourth fastest, it just seems so absurd at the start of the year because they were so far behind everyone. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, they've done a fantastic job. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. You mentioned Mercedes. So P2 and a lot of money is still up for grabs in the constructors with Ferrari and Mercedes battling it out. In the last four races, Ferrari has outscored Mercedes by 36 points. Ferrari outscored them again in Suzuka 20 to 16. Lawrence, what did you make of the decision and how the race ended 
for Mercedes team orders to swap those cars? Um, yeah, it was a slightly controversial one. I mean, George, I'm not sure realistically would have been able to, he couldn't hold off science, obviously, once this got passed, but I'm, I'm not even sure it would have um, worked out well for them if they'd tried to use Lewis as a buffer in between. So mm-hmm. uh, to protect the most amount of team points against a rival, I think they probably did have to uh, swap the cars. Uh, whether then Lewis could have given George a bit of DRS, as George pointed out immediately, uh, and as Carlos did to great effect in mm-hmm. in Singapore, uh, maybe there could have been a bit more cooperation there. But even so, he you know he ended up did, he did give uh, George DRS down the straight, and science still got past. So um, yeah, it's it's a battle that that's really heating up, and I think um, it's it's very good news for Ferrari because uh, they've really unlocked something with that car. And basically, just making a basically a happier car for the drivers to to, to live with, and seems to ride curbs better than it used to. Uh, so there's a lot of positive things, even on yeah high downforce circuit like Suzuka, where you wouldn't normally expect it to be very good based on what we've seen at other tracks. And um, it was it was still relatively competitive behind the McLaren, but mm-hmm. ahead of the Mercedes. So that that's a big step for them. And then Mercedes, I, I think they're now in a position where. So much is going towards next year, as it should do, really. But they may end up compromising themselves this year and perhaps losing that second place in the championship. But if you know, if it means extra development time on next year's car, of course, I think all development from now in terms of starting projects is absolutely on next year's car. But if it means they they've changed that earlier in the year than perhaps Ferrari did, and and, and you know they're just now running out of steam a bit. Well, you know, that is that's part of Formula One and, and really for a Mercedes team to be, you know, third this year, but then have a better start next year, as, as long as that happens, because they're talking about completely changing uh, the car in, in, in many aspects, then uh, I, I think that's the best overall decision. But it's going to be tight. And, um, you know, w- what we're also seeing from Ferrari is, is fewer mistakes in general, just fewer operational errors, uh, better strategies. And um, I think actually what we're seeing now is probably more of what that car has had, the potential it's had throughout the year, but more focus now on, on actually getting results. So, um, yeah, we're, we're well done to Ferrari. And I think if if they just nail the end of the season, they can beat Mercedes on, on pace. It's not as drastic of a turnaround, obviously, as McLaren, based on where McLaren was starting the season. But still, I think Ferrari deserves a little tip of the cap based on the turnaround that we've seen mid-season here, based on the performances uh, as of late. Okay, doghouse time. After a very entertaining race, Nate, at Suzuka, now that you've already kind of told us who you're not thrilled with, who would you put in the doghouse at this point of the season? Well, I teased three names earlier. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a difficult choice between those three drivers. Um, I don't know what I don't know if Lawrence had a, a a plan of action here or if you did, Katie. But I'm going to put Perez in there. I just think you know for all the reasons we t- spoke about, best car, one of his worst weekends of the season, and contrasted to Max. And also the reason why as well was Max won the championship, and nobody I don't think watching thought, oh well done, Verstappen and Perez won the constructors mm-hmm. championship for Red Bull your first thought was, well, I mean, Max has basically won that for the team. And that was telling of that race for Perez, but also just the season in general. So I'd put Perez in there. But it's, I mean, it, I think it's going to be a crowded doghouse this weekend. Lawrence? Yeah. Uh, I, I think Perez is a, is a very safe uh, shout, and uh, I completely agree with that. But Lance Stroll as well, at the moment, just yeah. underperforming to a level mm-hmm. that is, is kind of surprising, kind of worrying. It's got people questioning his motivation, 
And, you know, I don't, I don't really like that if, if, you know, it's not warranted, but yeah, you, you've got to ask questions. We scored three points in the last seven races. And look, I know the Aston Martin has, you know, his performance is not anywhere near as good as it was at the start of the year. But Fernando is still dragging results out of it, still scoring points here mm-hmm. and there. And um, yeah, Stroll is just nowhere in comparison, uh, you know, Q1 knockouts. So yeah, I I, I would put Stroll on there. Um, and, um, you know, he insists, the team insists that he's still motivated, wants to carry on. But yeah, we'll have to see how that one pans out. And also, you know, I'm not the first person to point this out, but if Aston Martin do have these ambitions as high as as they said you know in terms of going for championships and everything else and um, there will come a point where not having stroll performing on that level is going to harm them and um you know potentially even in the battle with mclaren if you know if mclaren continue to perform well at the remaining races then that fourth place is under threat and we would not have uh said that you know early in the year when aston martin were run high in second so yeah it's um it's a big missing piece in in that team at the moment, and I think he needs to, uh, yeah, again, another driver who obviously needs a bit of a reset to to get back to the level that he can be at. And just quickly, Katie, before we jump in, you can see as well the effect it's having on Fernando. I think we're starting mm-hmm. to see he's frustrated at the car, but I think he has also been carrying that team all season, and that was fine when the results were better. But now that things are going worse, we're just seeing a bit more of a fiery Fernando, and I think that you know. At the start of the year, he was kind of on the party line, wasn't he, about Lance and stuff. And the fact that Fernando's now getting more and more frustrated, I think there's a lot more going on with that team than than we're seeing at the moment from the outside. Yeah, you would imagine resentment starts to to creep in of, hey, I'm doing my job. I need you to do yours. Kind of help me out, essentially. Um, I hate to do this because I'm such an Alex Albon fan, but I'm just going to throw all of Williams into that doghouse if there's still some room. Um, two DNFs. And I say that out of like a loving place of like, I was hoping for more because I've grown accustomed to more with Alex Albon. So I'm going to throw Williams uh, in, in the the doghouse. Are we, are we okay with that? Do you guys have the room? I think, well, Sergeant, I, I, think it, I think Sergeant deserves to be in there. I think Albon. I know maybe, his was unlucky. He was squeezed been, wrong place, wrong yeah. time, but still. But I get what you mean. I get what you mean. If, if, if it's, if you're looking at the team, then, but the team is, it, it's got to be painted in an American flag if the team's in there because Sergeant's the one who's driven them in there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, he has. He has. He's, 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 he's been, he, he's been, the last three races, he's been dreadful. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he, the, the, the sergeant we've seen in the last three races, you know, on, 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 on that sample, you wouldn't say he deserves to be in Formula One based on that. You know, yeah. William, Williams insists he's getting better, but. I don't. I don't think I'm seeing it. Uh, I would also say I think it's harsh to put Williams in there because <laughs> Williams are a team that we've got used to being tenth mm-hmm. in the constructors' championship. Sometimes on zero points, they're seventh <laughs> for the moment, and you know yeah. they're they're quite you know they look like they're going to finish seventh as well, quite comfortably ahead of Haas. And I think it, it goes to show just how good a season they've had that our expectations have changed so much. I know that's when, why I put them in there. The, the, I just the want race, some exactly, consistency. It, 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 it's like a backhanded compliment, you know. They they they've done so well recently that when they go to a track and you know and they have the issues that they have and a double DNF, then uh, we're a little bit disappointed. But yeah, I do agree, agree with Nate that Sergeant uh, Sergeant's form is is not where it should be, and also the fact that he doesn't already have a contract secure for next year, despite there being very few um, options, you know, that would 
that shout out as people you know who would be a, an obvious replacement uh, that says a lot as well and um you know it seems like williams are still waiting to see if he can hit the performance that they want him to hit before the end of the year before they make a final decision on that one i definitely want to touch on jess hawkins but because we're speaking about williams at this moment can't believe i'm i'm giving a shout out to bass pro 24 chevy on Reddit, but he has run the numbers. And if uh, you're unfamiliar with the destructors standings, uh, <laughs> it's a running total of all damage the drivers have done for their respective teams. Uh, and right now, because we were mentioning America's own Logan Sargent, he currently uh, has the lead with $1.3 million in the destructors championship. Do you think that he will be able to bring home the championship <laughs> this season? Well, this is tremendous work. I mean, uh, this is some of the best stuff I've ever seen on on F1 Reddit. And again, the three guys we were just talking about, Sergeant Stroll Perez on this Destructors Championship, are leading the way. Um, but I'm going to back Sergeant. You know, I think Sergeant's he's looking good right now. You know, he's 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 destructing a lot of cars. He's he's really he's got his head in that place. So <laughs> I'd I'd say Sergeant to win it, but Stroll's right there behind him. You know, so yeah, Stroll might win something this year. Yeah, and, and and strolls from this like layout we have now, strolls accident in Singapore. Mm. I don't think it is added in his grand total, so that's going to make it pretty close um, yeah. if that one gets factored in. Because I think that was a chassis that got written off. Suddenly they were building up a new chassis uh, on in Singapore before he decided not to race. So yeah, um, it's 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 not. This must make such horrible reading if you're a if you're a Formula One driver and you come across it. Like how how much you have cost your team. Because don't forget, I mean, the figure there, I don't know how accurate this is. That You know, clearly the guy's, he's done a very good job. He's taken, um, like, you know, stock prices from the internet of, of how much a front wing would usually cost for a team and that kind of stuff. And a lot of that is based on the on the raw materials and manufacturing time. But 3.9 million is what uh, Logan Sargent's uh, total is at the moment, dollars, that is. And, you know, that's 3.9 million that isn't going to get spent on next year's car out of a budget cap mm-hmm. of 135. And, you know, once it starts creeping up, um, it, it becomes a very serious thing. And, uh, you know, teams will have to redistribute budget eventually uh, to do it. And the other thing with Logan at the moment, um, which maybe accounts for a bit of his performance, is that he's not running the same spec as Alex Albon because they, they literally do not have the parts uh, to put on both cars because Logan's destroyed so many of them and naturally they have put them more on alex's car because he's a better chance of scoring points but yeah when you get to a point where the team um either no longer has the parts um because they've just been destroyed or no longer trust the driver to put the new parts on um you know that says a lot uh and, and that's a difficult position to be in so maybe accounts for some of the gap that we sometimes see to albon in qualifying and so on but not a good position to be in and look who the bottom three are just, I know this isn't gospel. This this list, but bringing up the rear in the deconstructors championship, a certain Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, Max Verstappen. Above them, Valtteri Bottas, who's won what eight races. You got Norris. You've also got Russell up there, and then you got Magnussen and Hulkenberg in that top ten. So there's a correlation. So often, yeah, exactly. So often we hear about experience, and in the case of Haas, you know, moving away from Mick Schumacher last year, Mick would have been a contender for you know, Deconstructors Champion of the Year last season. It just shows you, you know, the, the importance of having drivers that you can trust to not wreck the car in this cost gap era is huge. And um, actually seeing it, you know, the, the numbers on here, we were just saying um, before we started recording, weren't we, that it'd be great to actually get these numbers, you know, confirmed. But, you know, based on the estimations you've got there, 
it's actually quite an interesting and quite a telling list. So um, I, I don't know, I don't know how many of the drivers are gonna uh, willingly talk about it, but I, I might ask a few questions in Qatar, see if those guys have seen have seen the list or not. It is fascinating. And Lawrence, to your point, Mick Schumacher, he did take home the constructor deconstructors championship in 2022 with nearly four million dollars in damages. And in 2021, with nearly $5 million in damages. And we know that's in part the reason why Haas decided to move in a different direction, because they couldn't foot the bill of constant damage and constant wreckage. So I just think it's a, a an interesting conversation to have. Thank you, Bass Pro 24 Chevy, uh, for allowing us to great, do that. Great name as well. I love I love the names <laughs> on Reddit. You're like, where did that where did that come from? But blending a lot of that's worlds car, together. Right? That's yeah, yeah, Bascar. but there's a lot Bascar. of he, he had a lot of interest, and he's like, I'm just going to put them all in one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Bass Pro 24 was taken, maybe, and he's just like, put Chevy on the end. Um, <laughs> but no, like it. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. To, to put a bow real quick on the Williams conversation, uh, I know that I've mentioned in past pods, maybe Liam Lawson being a prime candidate for Logan Sargent's seat if Williams decides to move on from Sargent. Uh, but Liam Lawson, guys, has kind of ruled out that possibility, correct? Yeah, it seems so. And we've heard that from from kind of the Red Bull side now as well. Um, you know, I, I, I asked, is there any chance? Thinking maybe, you know, maybe it was uh, something they were considering, but they said, no, absolutely not. You know, we need him in the Red Bull reserve drive and obviously Williams affiliated to Mercedes. And when Albon went there, I think it was a bit different. He was obviously on a Red Bull deal, but it was very mm-hmm. much Red Bull felt quite bad about the way that played out. And I think that they they felt they owed Alex something to kind of restart his F1 career. So I think there was a lot of that at yeah. play as well. But um, but yeah, so Lawson, as it stands, you know, obviously the, the, the crazy world of Formula One, who knows what will open up. But right now, uh, without a seat next year, which is pretty harsh because I think he's done really well. Yeah. For sure. Okay, let's hit this badass moment that took place. Aston Martin's Jess Hawkins became the first woman in nearly five years to drive a contemporary Formula One car at an event in Budapest this past week. Uh, Nate, like chances like this obviously don't come around often, um, but with the all-women F1 Academy um, obviously pushing for moments like this, are events like these going to become more commonplace, you think, in Formula One? Well, hopefully, but I think it's 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 a tricky situation, and I think you're right that it is rare these days. And in the mm-hmm. cost cap era, it's it's even more difficult for for teams to put these on. I think 10, 20 years ago, you probably would have seen more private tests for for women, for younger drivers generally. You know, teams would have been able to spend. It's one of the reasons why we see teams lean on their 2021 car because under the under the current cost cap, it's easier to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope so, and I think Formula One 
is very aware of the fact that this is something they you know they want to see more of. Aston Martin, I mean, Jess Hawkins, she's been affiliated with Aston Martin now for a couple of seasons and has just been waiting and waiting and waiting for this opportunity. You know, she's we've often seen her in the paddock and you feel for some of the drivers when they're in that situation, when they're in ambassadorial roles or they're in you know reserve driver roles, because it's I think it's quite a lonely existence almost when you're at a race because you are there as a race driver. You know, in, in Jess Hawkins case, she's a stunt driver as well. I think she was in some of the James Bond, um, one of the James Bond films recently. Um and they're just waiting and waiting for for these you know these moments or for for something to do. And so for her to finally get this opportunity, I think she had twenty six laps, is awesome. And I think that um, kudos for Aston Martin for making it happen. Um, and yeah, you know, I hope it's I hope it's something that more teams can replicate. I'm not sure if any other teams have um, many other drivers who are who are kind of ready for that. Uh, Alpine have Abby Pulling, who's one of the drivers. Um, uh, in the academy at the moment, I think she might be somebody who gets a similar opportunity soon. But yeah, hopefully we see more of it. And I think it's one of the drawbacks of of the current cost saving era of Formula One is that is that it's just so difficult for teams to put on meaningful private tests unless the drivers are willing to pay. And then obviously, when you get into the details of it, one of the problems that so many you know young women have had in racing is the funding isn't there. So it kind of it then it, it you know when Lance Stroll came in for example with Formula One he was able and same with Nikita Mazepin they were able to pay for lots and lots of private tests on their own back. It's harder for teams to do that you know in this era. So I hope we see more of it. But I think that people need to to be aware that the kind of the economic constraints mean it's it's not something that teams can just kind of go out and do every so often. But I think Aston Martin deserve a lot of credit for for putting this on. You're absolutely right, Nate. And, and I think an interesting note here is Roden Cars, who promised a female driver, uh, if admitted into Formula One, they've lost their bid uh, to join the grid in the future. Lawrence, can you just remind us of where we stand in terms of entities trying to get on the grid in future years? Yes, yeah, so the FIA opened up the process um, earlier this season to, uh, to try and get uh, potentially two, three new teams on the grid. Um, I think we've known for quite some time that Andretti was the most likely candidate to get on there. And it sounds like they have had their bid accepted by the FIA, whether that then gets accepted by F1 as well, and they become a genuine contender on the grid remains to be seen. None of this is official yet, but uh, mm-hmm. Rodin Carlin, which was one of the uh, one of the bidders to try, try and get involved, they currently run cars in, in F2, F3, Free Carlin, um, right down the motorsport ladder. Uh, they've come out and they've said before the FIA have said, that we're not in, we've had our bid rejected. Um, and uh, I think they're a little bit upset because they were hoping to base their team in New Zealand, so Southern Hemisphere team, which we don't have at the moment in, in Formula One. I'm not quite sure how that would have worked. I think mean, that would have been quite a tricky thing to accomplish, but um, it was something they were going for anyway. And um, they also uh, were hoping to put Jamie Chadwick in the car. Uh, Jamie Chadwick, we know, uh, has won the W Series when that was still around. Um, and uh, she's, you know, racing the version of what's essentially Indy Lights now. So she's, um, you know, a, a very capable racing driver. And, and they felt that she was in a position to uh, to make the step into F1 in, in one of their cars. But the bid hasn't come together. And really, I think, you know, the FIA do have to be super, super strict on, on, on this entry process, make sure everything's in the right place. I mean, yes, it would be great to have a, a female Formula One driver on the grid, but it's got to be done the right way. And it's got to be with a team that is capable of competing because otherwise, um, you know, somebody uh, going around at the back, as we've seen so many times in F1's past with small outfits trying to make it happen, but uh, falling a bit short. Um, 
you know, it's it's not actually that great for anyone in, in, involved in the team. So, um, yeah, we, we don't have the details yet as to why the FIA has has rejected it exactly. So we'll have to wait for, for those details. But a number of reports start to surface that Andretti is the only one uh, involved. And uh, from what we understand and what Andretti was saying earlier this year, that will have uh, some involvement from GM as well, uh, which is... Uh, significant and the Cadillac brands. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where that one ends up and whether they actually make it onto the grid because there's, as I said, still some some steps to go beyond that. But um, yeah, we know, as we probably assumed going into this process, that the the Rodin uh, bid was not successful. Yeah, and remarkable for Andretti just at the start of the year was basically at war with the F1 team. So the fact that he's, you know, that they're putting that proposal forward i think i think is quite interesting i just want to jump back in on quickly just to round off on hawkins and the and the test that she had one of the things that was um that was put forward by aston martin as well which is worth um noting is that as of as of next season f1 teams and f1 academy teams will be very closely joined together part of this test was kind of about that was i think was seeing how how that kind of operation might work I, from what i understand that Aston Martin had, you know, much different crew there than they would have had for a, for obviously for an F1 race. Um, and you imagine there'll be people there that maybe work across on the F1 Academy side as well. So I think Formula One deserves a lot of credit for the way it's approached this whole project because it's not trying to rush things. You know, it's letting teams, you know, put female drivers into the car when when they feel it's appropriate. They're not they're not forcing them into it. They're not saying you've mm-hmm. got to do this now. Um, and it, it it from from what I hear, and you know, I've been kind of keeping an ear to the ground on this as best I can. I think they're trying to let it grow as organically as possible. And I think that to exactly what Lawrence was saying there, that is the best way for this to happen. Because if you try and force something, if you just try and put, you know, a team at the back of the grid with a female driver in and she's up against it from the beginning, then, you know, you've basically, you you might as well step five or 10 years back, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of progress. So encouraging to see. Um, And yeah, I think, but it's also important to say, I think the road in, as Lawrence outlined, the, the road in bid, I think there were more. There was more flaws to the plan than than just that they wanted a woman in the car. That wasn't why it was rejected. Yeah. I think a team going from New Zealand seems pretty optimistic, given the fact that Ferrari can't even get mechanics to move to Italy um, from <laughs> from the UK. Moving to New Zealand seems um, seems quite optimistic. Yeah, no doubt about it. As always, I appreciate your time and your analysis. Laz, enjoy Northern Japan uh, as you continue to have a little vacay post Suzuka. You have earned it. We will be back next week for a Qatar race preview. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you. And we do love podcasts here. Cheers. <laughs>